It's time to say peace. A blissful May to everyone. We're on to another month and with a new month means a new episode from the podcast that is made by advocates for advocates. This is Say Peace. What's up, advocates? It's Simon and Terry. And for our seventh and our last episode, we will be tackling all about what it takes to be an advocate. Right. But before we delve deeper, let's hear this message. This episode is in partnership with Ashoka Philippines, Interact Club of Zamboanga City West, Online SDG Youth Action Forum, Hashtag Sanus2022 Advocates are heard. You know what, Terry? It's high time that we talk about what it actually means to be an advocate. Now, from our past six episodes, we've talked about significant issues ranging from the COVID-19 health workforce, the pandemic outlook for college students, voters' literacy, eradication of gender-based discriminations, and even the protection of the welfare of Filipino children, and to the extent of regenerating our environment. And of course, what's the use of talking about such advocacies if we're not actually going to this custom. We already have young people who are determined to pursue their personal advocacies and all it's left to do is to empower them. That is absolutely right. The youth hold so much power we can imagine and what more if we have educated and determined young advocates, right? Mm-hmm. So this episode is like a little guidebook for advocates who have little to no idea how to actually start creating change or for change makers who are facing barriers in their work and even for those who still haven't realize their personal advocacies. That is why we have invited a very special guest who will be joining us today and will be educating us on not only how to be an advocate, but how to be a determined and committed advocate. This episode will be very exciting because we have a guest from an esteemed international nonprofit, which, like the USC UNESCO Club, acts as a platform for change makers like you. Gracing our episode all the way from the Big Apple is the Community Coordinator at Force of Nature, a youth nonprofit mobilizing mindsets for climate action, she collaborates with a global network of changemakers, students, and youth activists in fostering community and affecting change. As a firm believer in harboring a constant willingness to learn, she believes that what makes an individual different is what makes them an expert in their own right. She approaches every interaction with kindness and curiosity with the hopes of inspiring authenticity and empowerment. Alongside Force of Nature, she is also a student in a dual BA program between Sciences, Po Paris, and Columbia University. Here with us today is Ms. Vida Han. Hi, Ms. Vida. How are you and what have you been up to lately? Hello, and thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate it. I'm really excited to be able to share my journey and also offer some advice on the Say Peace podcast. Lately, I've actually been, you know, working on my student life. Um, I've been working on my final stretch uh, in my courses. I have to prepare for a lot of final assignments as well as final exams, as I'm sure some of you might be familiar with. And, you know, I've actually just come back with the Force of Nature team from COP26, which was held in Glasgow, Scotland, uh, at the beginning of November. And I can tell you that that was 
definitely a crazy time, but I'm happy to be back in my home here uh, and get back into routine and settle down a little bit and also come away with some understanding and processing of what happened in Glasgow and what that means for us in our futures as well. That is very great to hear. I've also seen the posts from Curse of Nature about your trip to the COP26 and I'm sure that you had a blast in Glasgow as well. So we're going to tackle our very first question which We'll start on a more personal note. Miss Vida, what made you decide to be an advocate for change? Like, what drove you or what inspired you to pursue your own advocacy? That's a really great question and it definitely makes me think back just to about a year ago, a year and a half ago. And the thing is, I had no idea I would end up here today. And I think for a lot of people, the first big hurdle is overcoming that belief that you can't do anything that you're too little to make a change. I didn't know where to start. I saw a lot of problems back in March 2020 transpire around me, you know, across the world. I was in a space that made me feel very lost. I was in a space of turmoil. I didn't really know what to do with myself. I didn't know what I could do with myself. That sort of mentality made me want to push myself to find new avenues, new opportunities, um, but also take what I felt grief for or what I felt deep inside of me and spur that into action. So really channeling whatever emotions I felt at that time into some sort of action. For me, that action piece or that passion, or I wouldn't even frame it as a passion. You know, lots of people say, oh, you have to find your passion. Well, I wouldn't say this is my passion. I would say that this is my home. This is who I am. And this is what I'm based on as an individual. And that is nature. I've always been really closely entangled with nature. My family has always had a very close relationship with nature. I grew up in Canada, so I'm surrounded by picturesque natural beauty. And growing up, I saw that all come down in pieces, come down in shambles, in the word for urban development instead, right? I felt like that was a piece of me that was aching for some action. <laughs> And I needed to mobilize myself. And luckily, I came across for of nature. I reached out to Clover, who's my boss now, and I asked her, you know, I think your message here at Force of Nature in channeling these emotions into action that really resonates with me. And I know we'll speak a little bit more on intergenerational forums later on, but that was also another piece I really resonated with. I felt like that was something that I was very passionate about. Entangled with that, I always have this willingness to learn. That is my life mantra. It is to embody a willingness to learn. I know you read my bio, right? And so I want to introduce this approach to life in everyone I meet. And that is how I sort of came to that intersection between, okay, here's the environment and here's what I want to do for the future. And here's what I live by, what my values are. So how do I bring these together? And how do I speak to the greater public about these things? And how do I change the people around me, the people closest to me, friends and family, and their lifestyles, their practices around more sustainable practices for the environment. That really is how my advocacy path came together. It was unexpected, but I think what you can take away from that is trusting your gut, you know? Looking at yourself, looking introspectively and saying, okay, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what hurts me the most when I think about it, or this is what excites me the most. And this is the value that I'd like to pair with it. And how do I infuse these 
skill sets together to create my own advocacy path. That's what I would say uh, drove my advocacy and made me decide in a sense. Thank you, Zita, for that insightful comment. Now, let's go back to what you said about the mentality or the mindset of overcoming that you can't do anything because I feel like that's what budding change makers have to deal with at first. Now, my question is, how does one actually start to pursue their advocacies and how can you realize our personal advocacies? Uh, that's a great question. So for me, you know, it wasn't so much of a decision. It was more so a process or a stepping stone. And I'm very fortunate. I'm very grateful. I'm very privileged to have had this experience. First step that I would recommend everyone take is to look introspectively, as I mentioned earlier. To look introspectively is to understand what you're feeling around the world, understand what you're feeling towards certain problems that might exist in your immediate vicinity, whether that's your local community, whether that's even your friends group, your school, right? Take that understanding of what you feel and use that to fuel you. Because ultimately, if that's the thing that you care about, you're going to think about it and it might impact you in ways that you've never really thought about before until you look at yourself and say, hey, look, this is something that I am fueled by. This is something that excites me. This is something that, you know, maybe makes me wonder. It makes me question. And for me, that was really the problem of sustainability. You know, I'm looking at my future and I don't really know what my future will look like. I'm worried for my future because not only is there the climate crisis occurring, right, but there's also social injustices. There's the pandemic going on, right? So I was worried for my future. And that's where my interests and where my path of advocacy, you can call, stemmed from. You know, what fuels you is really the question you should ask yourself. In terms of how you can realize these personal advocacies, that's a really tough question. But I think in today's world, we are granted the opportunity to do so through social media, through the power of technology. I know this sounds very simple in theory, and sometimes it can be hard in practice to apply, but I would say to really look into your interests and find a community online. There's a huge power in finding community. It can spark this light in you that you've never known before in finding like-minded individuals who might have the same interests as you. And I think something that can be immobilizing when you're on this journey of reflection and self-introspection is that you might feel alone. I know I did at the time that I did this. I felt incredibly alone. I felt like I was the only person in the world that had this experience or had these fears and worries. But the thing is, if you look for a community, I can guarantee you'll find not people with identical thoughts and opinions as you, but people who are like-minded. And when you find these people and when you create this community and when you cultivate this amazing atmosphere of sharing and storytelling, there's a lot of power that can come from that. Of course, on the more tangible side of things, you can have greater accessibility to resources, to opportunities in the space that you care about. Like I said, it's much easier said than done. And I would highly encourage you to, you know, really take that first step. The first step is often the hardest. But take that first step and look into these areas that fuel you after having realized what it is that energizes you as an individual. Thank you very much, Ms. Vida, for that. I think it really is important to be one with your surroundings, realize what's actually happening around you, and to know 
how it makes you feel. So this would really drive basically anyone to create change and know what you really want to fight for. For our next question, so as an advocate yourself, are there skills or attitudes that an advocate must have? Are there specific qualities that one must possess so they could be an advocate as well? This question is kind of tough because depending on what you're interested in and what you're passionate about and what it is specifically that you're advocating for, it can vary and it can differ. But I think something that grounds all of these is definitely empathy. I think empathy is incredibly crucial skill set, you could say, but also just an element of your character that is vital to the maintenance and the perpetuation of any type of advocacy that you vie for. So it can be very difficult to build empathy if you don't understand where someone's coming from, if you don't have that experiential learning or experiential knowledge of where someone's coming from. But empathy is tied to education. So if you can engage in this willingness to learn from not only yourself and your own experiences, but the experiences of those around you. I think that's a great toolkit, a great skill set to have in terms of building your pathway, but also building a community, reaching out to others, understanding how others feel and where they may come from, in forging these relationships, coming to an understanding of what action there is to take, right? That co-creation of action and solutions. So empathy is that first step to building these action steps for you in the future. It's not always a linear progress. Maybe you are given these action steps and you don't really know how to deal with these action steps because they're too complicated or it's just so broad ranging, you don't know where to start. But if you can bring empathy into the picture, bring different perspectives in, bring different experiences in, bring different skill sets and expertise in, then ultimately you'll also have an understanding of where to go from there. So I believe that empathy is one of the most important things that you can harbor as an advocate, as an activist, as a young person, as someone functioning in society who wants to build relationships as a social being, right? In addition to empathy, I would say this is not so much a skill or attitude, but I would actually say that this is an experience and it is failure. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to come across hardships and difficulties I learned something in school during a summer camp, I think, and it said that failing is actually your first attempt in learning. Kind of cheesy, I know, but I really think that this is a great acronym because you can't learn if you don't fail. You learn from your mistakes, right? So don't be afraid to make mistakes, even if you're given that label of activist and advocate, right? That's something I think maybe we'll get into later and something I'll want to touch upon later, but don't let your label of being an advocate or activist prevent you or scare you into not failing. It's a necessary part, I think, of being an advocate and pursuing a passion and pursuing what you want to care for. And finally, engaging in an open mind. I think we often fall into the trap of looking at our immediate circle, our immediate bubble, looking at, oh, this is going to impact me, so I care about it. And it's great if that is what it is that fuels you. But once you have that realization, again, take a step back and look at what's happening around the world or what's happening around your community, family. Having a bigger outlook on the situation, whether that is the environment, whether that is social injustices, whether that is education, whether you're passionate about tech, looking at the bigger picture will always heighten and enhance your knowledge 
and what you can put into the project that you're conducting. Don't fall into the trap of the crisis of imagination that we see in a lot of decision makers today. The reason why they have this crisis is because they're so trapped in their own sight. They are not looking off the path. They're not looking at the bigger picture. So in order to avoid that, we have to look at how someone, you know, I'm here, but I might look at what you're experiencing right now in terms of the realm that I'm interested in, right? And you're there, but you might want to look into what's happening over here in terms of whatever you're interested in. Just to wrap it up, I guess, on this point, number one, empathy. Number two, failing or engaging in a first attempt in learning. And number three, looking at the bigger picture. Yes, and I actually agree with what you said about empathy. I think it's really important that every individual in society needs to hone that because when we are empathic, we actually open ourselves to different perspectives in society and understand where they're coming from. Why do they even advocate for such things? And I think it's really important that we have to value that. It's a way for us to have an inclusive society in the future. Now, for our next discussion, let's move on to breaking barriers because I feel like a lot of advocates have their personal experiences that made it difficult for them to actually pursue change in their own community. So what challenges does a budding change maker face when pursuing their own personal advocacies? And do you have any experiences that you actually want to share? I would answer this in more of a two-dimensional perspective. I'll look at, you know, what are some of the bigger picture problems or barriers that I experience, but also members of our community at Force of Nature experience and even friends perhaps, what they experience as well. And then I'll look at some internal barriers that we can experience. And again, this is not just myself, but it's been echoed by many members of our community at Force of Nature from around the world. One of these bigger picture barriers is what I mentioned earlier. It's just simply the label of being an advocate or the label of being an activist. This label almost perpetuates this narrative of, oh, if you're inconsistent with what we see as an advocate or an activist, then that's not right. You're not one. You shouldn't be one. And I think that is a super dangerous mindset to have, especially in this space. And I think sometimes we internalize that. Like as individuals, we internalize this thought that I'm not good enough because I'm never going to be that 100% extreme end of that spectrum. What we have to understand is that it exists on a scale. Advocacy, activism, change making exists on a scale and not on a binary. We hold ourselves to these extreme standards to these binaries that yes, we are or no, we're not. That can be very detrimental and destructive and it poses a huge barrier to any action that we want to take. The thing is we are ultimately trying to survive. <laughs> uh, one example of this that I had spoken with a friend about is our values as an advocate or activist coexist with the values of the system that we live in. That system, unfortunately, but maybe sometimes fortunately, determines our livelihoods. One of the biggest, I think, conflicts and dilemmas is morals versus money. We need money to survive. That is the ultimate truth. I think in our society across the world, in this capitalistic society, we need money to survive. Without money, there is no survival. And then we have our morals as an advocate or activist. And sometimes these conflict, right? For example, being an environmentalist, 
I want to buy these clothes, but they're too expensive. These clothes are sustainably made. They're sourced sustainably. They're made from a circular supply system, right? But it's just so expensive. How am I supposed to afford it? Sometimes we'll shift to fast fashion because it's so accessible and affordable. And so there's this conflict between morals and money that we experience. And I think it's a huge barrier to overcome. But what we have to recognize and a way to overcome this is to understand that you're not going to be consistent. Accept that and embrace it, you know? Embrace it and even proclaim it with that element of truth when you are being an advocate and when you are being an activist. Because if you're going to put up this facade of perfection, all you're doing is perpetuating this narrative around right and wrong, right? But we want to perpetuate instead this narrative of simply be. If we don't do that, we also distance people who might want to make a change and who are not so involved, who are not well-versed. Going back to the example of environmentalism, maybe they want to do something to help the climate crisis, but they're scared that if they do, that means they have to do the whole thing. And if they don't do the whole thing, that they can't do that first step. That is one of the big picture elements. And I'll just quickly talk about imposter syndrome as the second big picture element. I think especially for people are age we have a tendency i know i do i still do i i do it every day with my friends with my peers with people on social media that i don't know right like this is something that i'm sure you can resonate with and it's totally okay it's a rational response to the consumption of media that we have right in front of our faces we see all these people who are activists who are advocates and who are really making it as these individuals, as this label, you compare yourself to them. You see all of this perfection online. It ties into this inconsistency equals not having that label. If you see yourself comparing yourself to other people, if you realize that that's happening, break out of it. <laughs> I know it's hard. I, I really do know it's hard. I try my best to break out of it and it can be very difficult at times, but it will perpetuate a self-belief that you're not good enough. But the truth is, and the fact is that you are. Let that sink in understand that you are capable and you have the potential and that comparing yourself to these people that you might know that you might not know it can be very harmful to you as an advocate as an activist just to tie into this internal factor this belief that you're not good enough you're too small you're only one in almost eight billion people on earth how am i supposed to make a change this mentality is really ingrained i think across the board just because some problems seem so complex and deep-rooted that we don't know how to solve them and we don't know where to begin. The thing is, you don't have to be the conventional definition of an expert to surpass these stories and narratives that you create for yourself, these self-limiting beliefs, as we call them at Force of Nature. What I believe in is that you're an expert in your own right, your experience, your history, your story, your upbringing. That's what makes you an expert. If you can bring your experience, who you are as your authentic self to the table, then you're going to be able to share your perspective and add an element to the table that was never there in the first place. Understand that you are capable, you have the potential of creating change, and it all starts with looking at yourself introspectively, going back to my earlier point. Because if you can realize that these are your self-limiting beliefs, then you can tackle them and you can channel into them and say, hey, look, I'm channeling these emotions and these feelings into action. So that is one of the big picture elements. And I'll just quickly talk about imposter syndrome as the second big picture element, especially for people our age. 
you know, we have a tendency. I know I do. I still do. I I do it every day with my friends, with my peers, with people on social media that I don't know. This is something that I'm sure you can resonate with, and it's totally okay. It's a rational response to the consumption of media that we have right in front of our faces.、Um, you know, we see all these people who are activists, who are advocates, and You compare yourself to them. You see all of this perfection online. It's it ties into this inconsistency equals not having that label. So if you see yourself comparing yourself to other people,、um, break out of it. <laughs> I know it's hard. I I really do know it's hard. I try my best to break out of it, and it can be very difficult at times. But it will perpetuate a self belief that you're not good enough. But the truth is, and the fact is that you are. So let that sink in. Let you know, understand that you are capable and you have the potential, and that comparing yourself to these people it can be very harmful to you as an advocate, as an activist. Just to tie into this internal factor, this belief that you're not good enough, you're too small, you're only one in almost eight billion people on Earth. How am I supposed to make a change? This mentality is is really ingrained, I think, across the board. Just because some problems seem so complex and deep rooted that we don't know how to solve them and we don't know where to begin, and the thing is, you don't have to be the conventional definition of an expert to surpass these stories and narratives that you create for yourselves. These self-limiting beliefs, as we call them at Force of Nature. What I believe in is that you're an expert in your own right. Your experience, your history, your story, your upbringing—that's what makes you an expert. If you can bring your experience to the table, then you're going to be able to share your perspective and add an element to the table that was never there in the first place. So, just going back, you know, understand that you are capable. You have the potential of creating change. And it all starts with looking at yourself introspectively. Going back to my earlier point, because if you can realize that these are your self-limiting beliefs, then you can tackle them and you can channel into them and say, "Hey, look, I'm channeling these emotions and these feelings into action." Wow, well, surely our advocates are more determined right now from your very inspiring words, because I think that these barriers that we talk about mostly come from ourselves. Because I myself was also first scared to actually take action. I had a lot of what ifs, insecurities, and basically fears. And to break these barriers, I think it is also up to us to actually start and overcome these barriers as well. So for our next question, I think our listeners would really love to hear this from you. What advice can you give to those who plan to start their advocate journey? I think a great place to start,、um, and I, I mentioned this earlier, is to find a community of like-minded individuals using the power of Google <laughs> or Yahoo, if you use Yahoo or Bing, whatever the other search engines are. Try and look for that community.、Um, it's a really grounding place to start. It's yeah, it's a really grounding place to start. And it's a great place to find the resources、uh, and also networks of engagement.、Um, and you know, I think another element that comes with that is finding a community or finding a grounding force outside of the realm of work that you want to pursue.、Um, oftentimes, being an advocate can be very 
draining because a lot of the times things don't go your way. You know, take COP, for example, the uh, UN Conference on Climate Change in Glasgow, the 26th one. Coming away from the conference, I felt the most depleted, the most exhausted, and the most shut down I've ever felt, I think. And one of the reasons why is obviously because not everything went according to what we had hoped would go to plan. You know, a huge component is the fact that fossil fuel delegates outnumbered national delegates, right? The fact that they didn't say phase out fossil fuels, but rather phase down fossil fuels. So I came away from that experience feeling depleted and feeling unenergized by the takeaways from that conference. But at the same time, I felt energized because I had this grounding force around me. I had friends who I could talk to. I had family I could talk to. I had my team members at Force of Nature who I could talk to. So definitely, yes, getting at your foot through the door, that first step through the door is really important and finding like-minded individuals, but it's really important to have something that grounds you as well, somebody that grounds you outside as well, because ultimately you are going to experience some hardships and sometimes those hardships can be incredibly difficult to deal with. It would be really beneficial to you and even to those around you for you to have these relationships and these connections. And something that a uh, fellow panelist once said, um, or was talking about was the concept of hope and action and how they're entwined with each other. I don't remember specifically what it is that he said, but you know, hope and action fuel each other. Hope spurs action, but action also spurs hope. Um, so understand that in times of difficulty, in times of hardship, when times when things aren't going your way and when things are looking really futile, understand that there is hope, that there will be better days. Um, optimism, existing in a space of optimism rather than fear and anxiety is really powerful. And if you can start off your journey in that space, it'd be great for you because you will ultimately have that um, experience and that history to look back on when you are feeling down. All right, Miss um, Vida, let's go back to your um, discussion about the COP26 as an example for uh, the last question we have for today. Because I feel like the community surrounding the climate crisis now involves a lot of uh, young advocates. Now, as young advocates, why do you think that it's important to have them in those community or in those discussions? So what makes them important actors at play when it comes to um, starting change or pursuing change for the community? Yes, this is a great question. One of my favorite questions that you could probably ask. I, I think something that we saw at COP was definitely the heightened presence of young people. And the thing is, we didn't necessarily see these young people in decision-making spaces. You know, a number of people I met there who are incredibly inspiring individuals, they had the term observer on their card to get into the blue zone, which is at COP26, for those of you who don't know, it's the space where all those delegates, policymakers, decision makers come together and draft the agreements that come out of COP. The thing is their cards said observer. I don't know what the others card said, but theirs said observer and observer does not mean that you're making a decision in that space. 
And I think what frustrates me is that excluding young people creates and perpetuates that problem I was talking about earlier, which is this crisis of imagination. And it prevents co-creation of solutions, of imaginative solutions from occurring. I think something unique about intergenerational exchange is that like hope and action, it fuels each other. So, you know, young people will feel older people, older decision makers and understanding where we come from and our emotions and feelings around it. Whereas the other way around, older generations have the opportunity to share their skill sets and understanding of how tangible action can occur in the systems that we exist in. And then to go back again, young people can offer this disruptive mindset within the existing system, right? Because we look at things a little differently, perhaps, than older generations do. And then older generations and people older than us, we can look up to them and say, hey, look, we have an ally. We have someone who wants to help us. So why don't we build this relationship? So I think something that really makes our generation special, makes young people special, is that we feel less apathy. I think our generation, Generation Z, Generation Z, however you like to call it, is one of the most emotional generations. And I think a lot of people put you know, bad connotations with it. You know, decision makers will look at us and say, you're delusional. You have all this optimism and nothing's going to change. You have to realize that that is the realistic point of view. And then we look at them and we say, no, no, you're wrong. <laughs> and then of course they'll say back, you're delusional, right? And of course this is not everyone. I'm, I'm generalizing in this case, but that is something that is often a marker of weakness that people perceive, but I believe that it's a marker of our strength as a generation. Um, young people who are aware of how we feel as individuals, but how we feel collectively as well. Um, there's a lot of power in that because ultimately that's what fuels the stories that we tell ourselves and stories dictate our actions. It's not just young people of a specific skin color, of a specific country, of a specific background that we're asking to be included in decision-making spaces across our society. It's young people from across the world, from a diversity of experiences. Now, I usually don't use the word diversity, but it really is a myriad of different experiences, different lives, different stories, because like I said, I believe that every individual is an expert in their own right from their own personal experiences, histories, stories, cultures. Um, we're not asking for tokenistic representation. I think, I think if we can include young people in decision-making spaces in a way that is really meaningful and deliberate and from the very beginning of decision-making processes, you'll ultimately have this more holistically built solution or solution finding process. And that's really important to address this crisis of imagination that's occurring right now. And the crisis of imagination is why we're currently perpetuating the systems that we live in. We need to disrupt these systems in a way, right? And to do that, it's to include a variety of different perspectives that exist in a comprehensive, deliberate and intentional manner. And, you know, just to touch lastly um, on my experience at 
COP26. I found the most powerful takeaway from that experience was the people that I met on the fringes of COP26. Those are the people that um, were maybe observers <laughs> in the blue zone, or maybe they were students who were there, other young people from across the world. I found a lot of power in that community, meeting these different individuals from different places, from different experiences, from different lived experiences. It was incredibly powerful and inspiring. And to include young people is to really build a community, right? I think that young people offer something that is not yet found in existing systems and decision-making processes. And that element is this element of empathy that creates community that spurs action. All right. Now, as we try to wrap our discussion today on what it takes to be an advocate, what is highlighted i think today in our discussion is that number one being an advocate it starts within ourselves we have to look for what sparks our interest in the community what makes us question what is happening around us and by doing so we have to also value empathy uh, by doing that and we have to also recognize our failures and validate ourselves that yes we are good enough despite these failures and we have to continue on making change even if we have a lot of failures even if we face a lot of challenges we just have to continue doing it because at the end of the day something will something good will come out of it and then after honing that within yourself we have to find a community a community that shares the same interest as ours because if we find that community it actually fuels the spark that started within ourselves and by doing so we also have to champion inclusiveness we don't have to limit ourselves within our community because i feel like it's important that we extend discussions outside the community that we're um, entitled to because there are a lot of discussions that need to reach other communities as well and i feel like that's what transpired in the discussion today right terry that's right Saib. so for our last segment which we do in every episode is the hashtag sanasa2022 so for this segment we're actually just you know expressing our wish for the year 2022 so we would love to hear what is your hashtag for 2022 miss vida we're going to go first Saeb. so miss vida has you know more time to think about what her hashtag is <laughs> so um personally my hashtag is that i hope that by the year 2022 we see change so pandemic wise philippines uh, has not completely controlled the pandemic as of now as of december so i hope that next year we get to see change we get to see each other face to face in the university because right now we don't have face to face classes also we hope that the cases are lowered the covid-19 is controlled and everyone is getting back to their feet once again so side what's your hashtag now for my hashtag, hashtag Sanasa2022 or hashtag I hope that by the year 2022, we have more effective advocates because I feel like creating good advocacy practices requires a lot of patience and perseverance. It's not always easy to start your advocacy and I feel like we have to acknowledge that it takes time actually. There are a lot of challenges for us in terms of making change and we just have to be patient with it for us to be truly effective and efficient in pursuing our goals towards a more sustainable future for the generations to come. Ms. Vida, what is your hashtag, Sanasa2022? 
Yeah. Um, hashtag I hope for 2022 that there is care and introspection. You know, something that I've talked a lot about today is the concept and element of empathy and how important that is. But paired with self-introspection, it can bring a lot of that spark that you're referring to. Um, it can create that spark even. You know, we're talking today about how to become an advocate, how to become an activist, and how, what steps we should first take. And I think that these two elements, care, which is in my way of saying empathy, and introspection are the first two step framework, the foundational structures of your pathway and also the grounding forces of your future as well. All right. Thank you, Miss Vida, again for joining us for our discussion on what it takes to be an advocate, even if you know the time difference is greatly different. So, like, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So once again, this is Terry and Saibel, and we thank you for tuning in to Say Peace. We would also like to thank the team behind this campaign, from our co-project heads to co-hosts to graphic designers, video and audio editors, transcribers, tech staff, ambassadors, the USD UNESCO Club executive board, and Ms. Yanga, and to our guests who have shared their expertise with our listeners. It has been a wild and exciting ride with you guys, and we cannot thank you enough for the overwhelming support you have received. We hope that our podcast has inspired you to create more significant change for a better world as we build peace, play safe peace. Thank you for tuning in. Be updated with new episodes by following our social media accounts at USD underscore UNESCO Club for Instagram and Twitter and USD UNESCO Club on Facebook.